Good morning, and welcome to HR Tech Weekly with Stacey Harris and John Sumser. Stacey, how are you? I'm doing well, John. I am doing well. I'm in Ohio this week um, at my old homestead with my uh, parents um, and enjoying a little bit of sunshine in uh, the Midwest here. So uh, doing well today. So so I saw you earlier in the week in San Diego at the Cornerstone Conference. Um, yep. um, how, was, how was the Goo Goo Dolls concert? <laughs> This is on Facebook. Uh, yes, uh, we did attend the Goo Goo Dolls concert. Uh, that was a, the Cornerstone's uh, client event. Um, we had a lot of fun. It was definitely sort of a uh, a reminder of what it's like to be a screaming teenage girl, um, which was many, many years ago for me. But, you know, sometimes you need to need those reminders. So we had a good fun. Myself and Aaron Spencer attended that, um, as well as the Cornerstone conference. Uh, we did spend time working like we were supposed to, but the Goo Goo Dolls concert was a was a Nice break from everything before we start doing our uh, HR technology system survey data crunching uh, next week. We thought it was a good break. So Cornerstone had, I saw you in line at the Resume of the Future headshot booth. Um, yes. uh, tell, tell me, did you get a Resume of the Future? I got a headshot. I don't know if I got a Resume of the Future, but I, but, but we'll see. They're supposed to send me something. So, <laughs> so what do you suppose? are always valuable. <laughs> what do you suppose the resume of the future is? You know, I think in the um, the cornerstone world, the idea of resume of the future is much more about um, your skills and your capabilities and a little bit less about the jobs themselves. And um, they, they did a, a big conversation this week about the fact that a lot of job descriptions and job resumes don't really give a good example of what's going on both in the employees and in the uh, jobs they're defining. And so I think that was a big conversation for them. The resume of the future is about um, where you want to be as much as what you've done. So. Resume of the future. Oh, oh, oh. So it's, so it's like an expanded, here's where I'm trying to go with my career kind of document. Is that the idea? That was my take. Yeah. Now I don't know what that, that would all, if that's what I'll get, but we'll see. <laughs> So, with a nice picture of yourself, obviously. So. Well, well, since since you got the resume of the future, does this mean that you're looking for work? It does not. No. <laughs> no, I was just thinking maybe it's time to update the ten ten plus year old um, picture that I end up using in all of my biography uh, or uh, all of my speaking announcements and engagements. So. <laughs> That's great. So, what did you make of that Cornerstone conference? So I thought the Cornerstone Conference was good. I mean, there was a little bit more energy this year than there was last year, which I think is important for them because I think they've they've been struggling particularly with sort of the direction and focus of the organization. Um, they did obviously get this huge infusion of finances, $300 million, uh, not too long ago. Um, and they um, spent a lot of time in the analyst uh, meeting updating us on what's happening in the um, – their organization from a financial perspective, um, from a, a margins and profit perspective, which was really important for them. For those who know the Cornerstone organization, um, they have grown very rapidly in the last 10 years. And a lot of their investments has been on sales and marketing. Um, they were probably, in, you know, one of the industry's most um, well, I guess you'd say the highest um, per sort of acquisition cost when it comes to sales and marketing numbers. Um, they always sort of, I think, in, increase sales and marketing with the idea that they're increasing revenue in numbers. But as a SaaS business, 
they really want to do is increase profits um, with their um, recurring revenue. The other thing they talked a lot about was that they had um, uh, basically gotten rid of their entire services um, from an implementation perspective business, um, which was going to be a bit of a hit this year, but was really important in them um, increasing year over year uh, recurring revenue um, and gave a lot of business um, to and a lot of their um, uh, a lot of their employees who had worked in those areas to the implementation service organizations like IBM, Blue Water, um, DCX, which was used to be the old Tribridge. Um, very focusing heavily on on the relationship with those partnerships. Um, and the implementers seemed really pleased with that because that was obviously gave them more opportunities to work within large organizations. And they're particularly doing this for their enterprise organizations, over 200 plus employees, small and mid-market organizations were still being implemented by the cornerstone team. So, so it was an interesting event. We didn't see a, a huge amount of product updates. Um, except for maybe in the content area where they were increasing the overall number of, of content offerings and some content um, sort of selection tools. Um, but most of the product offering uh, updates we got were fill in the blanks. They were, they were filling in gaps that they had um, had for the last couple of years. So that was my take on it. How about you, John? Did you, do you see anything different than that? Well, you know, so the way that I describe what I saw is a cornerstone um, because they've been being pushed around pretty hard by activist investors. Cornerstone did an amazing thing. They cut 20% of their revenue out and effectively gave it away. Right? So, so all of the services business, all of the client support business, um, they simply gave it to other partners. They simply gave it to other partners, and so they took a they took a hit on the revenue line. They went from a half half billion dollars to four hundred million dollars almost overnight. Uh, but profitability went through the ceiling because that services business um, is valued differently than the software licensing business, mm -hmm. which is what the rest of the money is. And so, so it was, I think. Um, challenging i think it was i think it was really challenging because if they if they if they liquidated 20 percent of the business it probably means that the layoff was on the order of 30 percent because that hundred million dollars is all labor hours right um and and so 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 the company was sort of in a post layoff mode and um and and there are really interesting things. They've managed to bring the stock price way back up. It was at the you know low 30s at the trough, and now it's in the 50s. Um, and um, everything's tight, um, and they are doing just as you suggested, filling in holes in their offering. But they're now fleshing out a um, service ecosystem, and that can't be anything but good. It can't be. Yeah. Yeah, so, so it was one of those, yeah, it was a good event, but it, I think it was one of those where we were kind of like, let's wait and see what happens in the next couple of years, right? You know, can they sustain the turnaround? Um, uh, but there was more energy, and I think that was that was probably, you know, the most interesting to see. Um, and new leadership, we, we, we met the new CMO, um, who uh, has a background from Microsoft, 
um, as well as many other sort of small businesses. So uh, sort of a, an understanding of how to turn a big organization around. Um, and we met several new members on the operations team, and they have new board members too. So yeah. Yeah, it's crazy. So, so control has changed in the organization, and operational emphasis has changed. So the the guy who is sort of the the COO, I think I think he was introduced as the the president of field operations, but but he he yeah. seemed to me to be running things moment to moment. Um, um, is a seasoned IBM veteran. So so when I talked to the IBM people who were at, at, this, at this event, the IBM people were ecstatic about the changes because they've got this new evolving partnership that we're going to talk about in a little bit um, as part of the execution of that business that um, Quarterstone is no longer interested in. Yeah, you know, the, the IBM partnership is, is, I think, an example of what we're going to probably see in other areas as well, where Cornerstone generally has been much, very insular, right? When, when you think about Cornerstone as talent management, they, they had integration, but it was never their top focus. Um, and they had partnerships, but they were always partnerships that were sort of partnerships of the moment, right? Um, right. This integration with uh, IBM and I think the other SIs that we're starting to see now is going to be much longer lasting. Um, Basically, they announced that the IBM group and them would not only be having a partnership for the um, consulting business um, and all of the customers who are interested can have access to the IBM talent management consulting services and implementation um, efforts, but they're also uh, creating some deep integrations with the IBM Connect the Talent Framework um, and the recruiting and onboarding software that IBM offers. Um, and their assessment functionality. So it is both a technical partnership as well as a services partnership is what it sounds like. It'll be interesting because there's commonality that the, the, um, the, the head, of, head of operations is a long-term IBM guy. And so you, you can imagine that that will be tight. Imagine that will be really tight. So what else so is in the mailbag? Yeah, you know, things are starting to slow down. I mean, uh, we're, we're heading into the summer holidays, but there's always news coming out. So um, we also um, got this week, I think for many people who may not be paying attention, um, news on Kronos, um, launching Kronos Workforce Ready in France um, might be a bit of a surprise. You know, one of the things that, that a lot of people don't realize is that Kronos is definitely one of the world's largest workforce management application software providers, but they also have their own mid-market SMB, um, core HRMS environment as well, along with some talent management elements. Um, and that area, which is their workforce ready area, has been growing pretty rapidly, at least in our research. You know, we've seen them getting upticks every year in that area. Um, so they're quietly taking on, I think, more and more clients in that mid-market and SMB space because of this. Um, and they announced that they are launching now in France um, with Basically, um, you know, the idea that they're planning to grow at least by 25% year over year in the in the French market. They um, uh, have a, a a focus on the SMB in the French market here, um, and they're excited about this growth. I mean, this is something I think a lot of people aren't paying attention to how rapidly Kronos is growing. So. Uh, one of the things that's really interesting about about the market in general is that the um, the big companies, Paychex is also doing very very interesting things, and and the big companies are 
uh, taking advantage of the fact that they have this huge tranche of historical data, yep. which puts them in better stead to build out intelligence into their software stuff. Kronos is, Kronos is doing extraordinary things in this regard with their scheduling tools, and Paychex is, is making it possible for all of their customers to have real-time AI sort of at the push of a button. So, so there are amazing things going on with these bigger, older legacy companies who in a different technical world wouldn't be aggressive competitors. Yeah. And, and I think what, you know, we're seeing, you know, there was no doubt that when we were at the Cornerstone Conference that for them international, particularly the EMEA market is a huge growth opportunity for them, right? Um, but I think we're seeing this across the board in most organizations that particularly if an organization is doing talent management and core HRMS, um, the U.S. market is still strong, but there is a lot more greenfield or newer opportunities going outside the U.S. in the uh, international markets. And we're definitely seeing, I think we're going to see a competition come across for who's going to be the leader in the international market. Will it be international organizations headquartered outside the U.S. or will it be some of the U.S. headquartered organizations in this space? And um, looks like Kronos is going after that market. So. Interesting, interesting. And so after Kronos, we have a little startup called Structural. Mm-hmm. What do you know? This is Minneapolis. Yeah. Minneapolis always produces these interesting little businesses. They, they really do. Um, and, and, and this one, you know, we didn't see a lot of investments, a, a lot more seed investments going on right now, and not so much of the big investments. This one got $2.5 million at raise, so, um, you know, enough to maybe raise an eyebrow. But um, they're, they're really, this is including, um, they've just done uh, the seed fund as well. Um, it's a group that's focusing in the area of um, basically adding, um, my apologies, I'm, I'm, for a moment, I'm having to go back and actually read the article normally. I've got a better idea. This is an organization that is um, in the HR technology space, and it's, they're bringing a lot of um, previous organizations to what they're doing, like uh, Tech Better and Scott Burns and Chip Howe. Um, but they're focusing on the area of talent management is what I'm understanding. Um, and we'll be increasing jobs. And I'm I'm not finding exactly what they're doing in this article, John. <laughs> and my apologies. Um, I thought I had an understanding of what the organization was doing, but it's it's not here uh, outlined as um, well as I thought it was. Uh, it's just basically saying where it's located and how much money they're getting. So I can't even tell you what um, what they're doing as a business. <laughs> so it's so it's it's a. Um... Um, analytics business, I believe, that focuses on um, synthesizing the information that's in human resources systems. So, 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 um, if you've got employee profiles in your system, this gets you that. But that's that's a that's a really interesting question. You have the data on this, I think. What percentage of of employee profiles are actually ever completed? Do you know? Yeah. And it- this is this is a big thing. You know, we find that only about 25% of organizations have what we call an employee profile management process. Um, 
that's really startling, um, which means that basically they are focusing on ensuring that employees are creating profile management um, processes in their organization and have profiles completed. Um, when we talk to organizations, on average, they're lucky if they can get somewhere in the range of 25 to 40% of profiles completed. And I would say that's still um, not completed at a level they need to actually be doing some of the talent management that they're focusing on without real investment in um, adoption strategies like awards or some sort of an initiative to get people to fill out profiles. Um, and generally, the bigger issue isn't even whether or not they're filled out. Uh, on average, they only have about 25% of the profiles that get touched more than once every couple of years, which means they're not up to date on a regular basis. I, I bet you that's not the case on LinkedIn as much. But Oh, I think, I think LinkedIn updates are hard to come by, too. Um, the, the, the interesting thing that I want, I want to see if you have a sense of this. So, so 25 to 40% of employees even start filling out their employee profile. Um, you suppose that's the, that's the crowd who are engaged. Would, would, would there be a relationship between engagement and filling out your profile? I don't know about that because in many cases, the people who aren't taking the time to fill out the profile are usually some, they're either not interested or they don't believe that you're going to do anything with that information that's going to be value to them, or they're too busy doing the work and too busy being involved in what the organization is doing to do that. Right. So I don't know that engagement is really the factor I would, I would put in into this. I think in many cases, it's a matter of getting organizations and particular employees to believe that you're going to do something valuable with that data, that there's going to be some value for them out of it. Right? Interesting. Interesting. So, so you could, you could conceivably say that the people who have completed profiles are the middling mid performance folks rather than the high performers or the low performers. I'm sure the vendors would not like us to say it that way, but yes, I would say in some cases that oh. might be the way you want to look at it. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm, so, I'm sorry. Let me back up that and say that in a way that the vendors would like. Yeah. Oops, I can't. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, the the question of of what do you get if you've got deep analytics on. Um, a marginally relevant subset of the employee population. Um, it's that that sounds to me like an idea looking for a home rather than a a bright idea. Yeah. Right. This yeah. is one of I think the number one issues and that we're seeing in the market is adoption rates and how do you track adoption. Um, and are people actually using the software? And this is, this is a conversation we had at the Cornerstone event too, which is um, the assumption that people are going to go in and use the HR technology, um, I think, is, is a challenge right now in the market because um, employees are only using the applications that add value to their lives. Um, and if you can't figure out a way to show the value for them, um, or in some cases, um, you don't give them uh, enough risk in not doing it, right? Then, then you're not going to get them filled out or completed the way you want them to be done. So, huh? Well, 
um, lots to figure out. Uh, this is this is this is how does HR solve this problem? I haven't I haven't ever noticed a a session at one of the conferences that I've been to called "How to Get Your People to Fill Out Their Profiles." No, yeah, <laughs> I haven't even I rarely seen a you know an adoption conversation that doesn't talk about well you know. We just give awards out for people to go in and click, right? And 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 we, we track how many of performance reviews actually get accomplished, which isn't the same as making sure those performance reviews actually um, uh, create value in the organization, right? And the yeah. adoption conversation, I think, has been very much about how many people have gone in and just clicked on a button or hit something or created an activity. Um, and I think the conversation has to shift to real value that you're getting out of the, the system, so, which which is why we're seeing a lot more analytics tools come out in the market because they need to, in some cases, we may not be able to see what's happening if you don't start to analyze the data that's in there. Once you start to analyze the data that's in there, um, then you start to see that there's not enough data to do the analysis that you need, right? Well, that's interesting. So what is in it for, for an employee to um, uh, fill out their profile? <laughs> well, I think that depends on the organization and the vendor. Um, you know, if the, you know, we, we asked a new question this year. We'll see what's happening with it when we get the data crunched um, as we're wrapping up the survey uh, this week. But in the HR system survey, we basically asked a question about whether or not organizations were um, just using the technology to replace paper-based, whether they were using the technology to help managers do their jobs better, whether they were using the technology to actually make business decisions or whether they were using the technology to make enterprise planning decisions. Um, if employees feel that their career and their future within the organization um, is impacted by the data that's inside that system, they might be more likely to put data in it, right? Yep, yep. If, if you could figure out how to uh, make it interesting, they would definitely, they would definitely do more. It, it it always seemed to me when I had to fill those things out that um, um, there wasn't any benefit whatsoever to doing it. Yeah. Well, and and we're and we're also seeing there are some concerns about you know when I do fill out information, how safe is my information, how private is it? So you know one of the things that we saw this week is one of the the first sort of post GDPR, I guess you might call it. Um, uh, Data breaches um, ended up being a um, HR organization, one that many of us have tracked for a while, PageUp, out of the Australian market. Um, they made an announcement that um, they had had some data breaches, some some unusual IT activity on their servers. Um, now, they did make a comment that most of the passwords were hashed and salted. I don't know what salted means. You might know what that means, but I assumed I knew what hash meant. Um, but they and they said the documents, which included signed employee contracts, were in another infrastructure, so those were somewhat safe. But it sounds like there was a lot of um, specific personal information on employees um, that might have been accessed. And in the recruiting space, um, which um, PageUp does a lot of recruiting in the Australia market, so for some of the largest businesses in the Australia space, including. Um, Kohl's grocery stores, let's say, which has about 100,000 employees um, in the market. So um, that's, uh, you know, I think we're starting to see more and more people also concerned about how, you know, how their data is being managed and how private it is um, and if it can be accessed. So. 
Yeah, well, the the the, the thing that that I keep hearing is that the most targeted um, um, area for hackers is HR data because it's where all of the personal information lives. Yeah. Um, and and so I, I I doubt that page up is the um, 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 is the last to have this problem. I, I don't think they're going to be the last to have this problem. Um, I do think that um, um, it's very, very difficult. I'm noticing that people are not really good at handling this sort of um, problem, right? Because this is, this is a security problem. Um, and <clears throat> um, saying that... Um, that the hacking didn't get anything is only a little bit comforting. <laughs> yeah. Right. We, we, we want to know, we want to know that our data is protected and to say that, that it, um, um, client data may have been compromised, um, is, um, um, particularly when it has tax file numbers and driver's license data, that's a, that's a big deal, and everybody's going to get hit by this. Everybody's absolutely going to get hit by this. Well, well, I think that's like the question, John. I mean, you know, as you said, it doesn't feel comforting to know that it was access. Um, but is there in the modern era is is there a data center, data environment that really is completely unhackable, right? I mean, we're hearing about, um, you know, human access points as well as technical access points. So is it better to have uh, an understanding of how much cyber, I guess, security they put inside of things so that when they do access that information that it's not um, usable? Or is it more important to make sure that everything is just completely unaccessible? Yeah, um, I think we're going to learn a lot going forward. I think I think the ideal of it being totally inaccessible is probably not exactly realizable because there's too much. You know, this is the opposite of why aren't people filling out their profiles? The incentive isn't there. If you're a hacker looking at HR systems, the incentive is there. And this, I think, is you know, you know, we we had some news this week about Microsoft purchasing GitHub, and also about Microsoft launching one of the very first underwater data centers in um, off the Scottish coast to see if underwater data centers were reasonable and maybe safer. Um, you know, the big Amazons, Microsoft, Google, their role in in these type of uh, conversations are absolutely important. Um, and we have to sort of be watching what they're doing as well. Uh, does the security and the and the dialogue that we're talking about have any impact on things like them purchasing someone like GitHub um, from a, a technical perspective at all? I, you know what? I don't have the slightest idea. That's a great question. That's an absolutely great question. But I am intrigued by the idea of underwater data centers. Uh, <laughs> so... So how do you fix what breaks in an underwater data center? Or is it is it like a building underwater and you sort of snorkel down and, and go through the airlock and you're underwater? Or is it a, just a self-contained thing? 
Well, this is, this is a project called NATIC, N-A-T-I-C-K. Um, it's an ongoing research project to determine the feasibility. So it's the feasibility of underwater data centers. Um, but they're, they're launching some prototypes off of Scotland. Um, and they're, they're, you know, the project was launched in 2014. And it looks like, you know, from what I can tell, that this is basically sort of um, little submarines with data centers inside of them, right? Um, <laughs> and so, yeah, I think the idea would be, I don't know about buildings, but um, uh, they would be sort of submarine-like entities, and I would assume you'd have to get people down to them. Um, but the idea is that they are cheaper to keep cool, right, down and underneath, um, and that they are uh, less um, uh, less impacted by natural um, weather issues um, in that environment. Um, so I, I don't know if this is going to go well or not, but they're still in the prototyping phase, and it, and it sounds like they're investing quite a bit of money in this project. So. Wow, can't wait to can't wait to see that. So we're so we've hit the limit on another week. Um, yeah. Thanks for taking the time to do this, um, and I'm glad you're safely ensconced in beautiful <laughs> Ohio. Yep. Uh, and next week we'll we'll be catching up on. Uh, I'll be at the Talentsoft event in Amsterdam, so we'll get some updates on that next week. Um, and I'm sure we'll get some updates. You guys are heading uh, into your uh, um, master's class, aren't you, soon, for uh, yeah. the event coming up? Master's class in um, Princeton on the 29th. Definitely yeah. worth talking. Definitely worth talking about. So with that, thanks for tuning in, everybody, and we will see you here next week. You've been listening to HR Tech Weekly with Stacey Harris and John Subser. Have a great week. See you next time. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Bye.